0: facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A magnificent Monday to you. Welcome to another week on The Kale Clark Show. So happy to have you with me for this episode. Why not grab a place in line? Grab a vine. You can call me right now, 888 9149 Toll free to talk to me, 888 914 9149. You can also email the program, kale at relevantradio.com is the address, C A L E at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C A L E, Clark with an E. Well, it, it is so awesome to be back with you on this Monday. we got an amazing show. Just a, I can't wait to get things rolling with you today. A man, John Scott, is going to check in with me, and that is a pun. Uh, He's going to check in on the Stanley Cup final. He certainly threw a lot of checks uh, during his NHL career. We're going to talk about why your best friend and your worst enemy is actually the person looking back at you in the mirror. It's yourself, so we need to be aware of this, how we can figure that out as we kick off the work week on this Monday. But I want to talk to you about, speaking of articles, and you, you can always email me an article, uh, that, that you find useful or anything that kind of grabs your eye. And you think, I wonder where Kale's take on this might be. You can email it to me. Once again, that address is Kale, Cale, at relevantradio.com. And I, I found this piece that was uh, really, really interesting uh, by Jen Wilkin. And uh, she wrote a book on the Ten Commandments. And I thought that this is really uh, amazing, talking about the commandments. That we, that we shouldn't even think about it. Don't even think about it when it comes to certain things. And I think controlling the thought life is obviously where it all starts, uh, no question. Starts upstairs, starts from within, really starts in the chest, starts in the heart. That's what Jesus said. Before anybody commits an actual sin, it first begins on the inside, at the level of the heart. And What, what if I told you this? What if I told you this? That what you are today, what you're doing today, even right now is the belated announcement of what you've been thinking about for the past 30 days. That's, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? That everything that you are right now and what you're doing right now is the belated announcement of what you've been thinking about for the past 30 days. And you're probably thinking about 30 days ago, I have to make sure I listen to the Cale Clark Show on Monday, June 5th. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I, I'm glad. If that, if that was what you were thinking about, I, I thank you for that. Uh, I simply wouldn't have a show if you weren't here to listen to it, so I, I, I'm grateful for that. But that's actually um, something that Jen Wilkin uh, said in this article that she wrote uh, for Crossway about not even thinking about it when it comes to sin. She heard a preacher say this once, that we are the belated announcement of what we've been thinking about for the past 30 days. What, what do you really mean by that? Things start to manifest, don't they? Things start to manifest. and When we, when we think about the Ten Commandments, the last two commandments number nine number ten they have to do with something called covetousness and that that is kind of in a sense a key to understanding the whole set in, in a way because she says this like for all for all the other commandments for, for the other eight commandments theoretically your neighbor could testify against you in an open court could hold you to account as it were about how you're doing with these. You know, is this guy going to Mass? Uh, I'm not seeing it. He's uh, kind of sitting around watching cartoons or sports highlights on Sunday morning. Well, all all the other stuff is technically, at some level, you could witness to it. But the end of the list of commandments, these are really of a different ballgame altogether. Making idols, you know, not worshiping the one true and living God, you know, breaking the Sabbath, dishonoring your father or mother, you know, really, it's kind of a stand-in for any legitimate authority at some level. Stealing, uh, sins against the sixth commandment, lying, slander—all of these sins could theoretically be pointed out by somebody else from the outside. But covetousness is really really tricky it's an easy sin to hide in a certain sense it hides in the heart and that's what's so insidious about it and so i like how she puts this she says really the commandments kind of progress from don't do it to don't say it to don't even think about it don't even think about it and when it comes to this uh this is really where we have to uh to start thinking about it. We have to think about not thinking about it, if that makes any sense when it comes to this this, uh, part on covetousness. And so the Ninth Commandment, the Tenth Commandment, they really, really uh, do verify what, what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel when he said that really everything starts at the level of the heart, at the level of desire. You've got to desire something that's OB, out of bounds, before you actually take action to try to... To get this thing or achieve this thing, and so an inter- here's here's another interesting point on this covetousness. Jen Wilkins says that covetousness and contempt hold hands with each other. Covetousness and contempt hold hands with each other. Why? Because no, she says nobody ever tried to take anything from God or from their neighbor without first desiring to diminish them. It's a personal offense. Covetousness is a personal offense. Now how how could you possibly take something from God? God pff, God needs nothing. He created the universe from from nothing ex nihilo as we know. So well it's it's taking the what's due to him. Uh, his proper due worship number 1. And that's really the first commandment. You can only have one God, that's the true and living God. Anything else is nothing less than idolatry. But when you covet something that belongs to your neighbor or someone that belongs to your neighbor in the case of a spouse that really is a desire to try to diminish the other person you you, you it's a personal offense you want what's theirs you want to put yourself above this person and it, it, it should be mine it should be mine and it's the same thing with with sins against god and so when you go when you go back to the first book in the bible the book of genesis and on the faith explained show uh, which is the other show i host daily on relevant radio we did have a series on the book of genesis you can find it in the archives relevant com. and we talked about adam and eve we talked about the original sin we talked about how they coveted you know eve coveted she she saw it she saw the fruit and she wanted it she wanted and really that that belonged to god that was god's to to give out if he was going to give it to them and there's so many theories out there about this forbidden fruit the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was god ever going to give it to them he let them eat from any other tree was he eventually going to let them eat from this one maybe maybe there's this theory out there that um, they weren't mature enough in a sense they were almost infantile that's what some theologians say they they had bodies they were kind of adult in body if you will but still kind of like maybe preteens in their mind and so they weren't ready for it they weren't mature they hadn't they hadn't been Proved by God to be worthy of it. So maybe he was going to give it to them. We don't know. We don't know. It's, that's, a lot of that is, is pure speculation. But, but we do know this. If that was the case, it would be a case of what happens with every sin. The right thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way, with the wrong person. Really what we have here is disordered goods. When it comes to sin, that's really what it's all about at the end of the day disordered goods because the enemy the devil he can't create anything he, he doesn't have that power he he's incredibly powerful don't get me wrong he's a preternatural he has preternatural intelligence as a fallen angel he was a very powerful angel in heaven known as lucifer the light bearer some say he was the director of music in heaven if you will but he fell because he he wanted something that belonged to god he wanted he wanted the power he wanted the glory he wanted the angels to worship him if you will and and a third of the angels, according to the Bible, actually went along with his plan. They fell from heaven, were kicked out of paradise, and became demons, fallen angels. They were created to be good, but through their own freedom, their free choice, which was an eternal choice in their case, because they were angels. They can't take it back. People often ask me, oh, could the devil ever repent? No, because it's an, he made an eternal choice. Whereas we live in time, so we still have time to repent until time's up, until it's too late. So we have to make sure that we stay in that state of grace. But but the enemy can't create anything. He can only take the good things that God has created and try to trick you trick you, try to tempt you. And let's face it, it's not always the devil that makes you do it. It's very often your own the after effects of original sin and your own bent towards the, these things, trying to, to get one up on God with your pride, saying, "I deserve this." It's taking the good things that God created and trying to use them in the wrong way, at the wrong time, with the, with the wrong person. It's misappropriation, if you will. It's not just misuse, it's misappropriation. And that's really the heart of, of the original sin, this, this pride, the, the pride of, of the enemy who fell, and, and Adam and Eve have kind of got sucked into this. And it, it's kind of interesting, this whole month, obviously, and all, all the, the sin that's associated with it. First it was a day, then it was a week, now it's a whole month, and it's all... Around this theme of pride, I'm in control. I'm. In, no one is going to tell me what to do. Certainly not the Catholic Church, and, and maybe not even God Himself. What what I can do with my body? No. Well, it's not. First of all, it's not yours. It, it's it's a gift that was given to you. Saint Paul said this in the New Testament. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is something that that everyone must learn. But but this this is really a theme that's even at the beginning of the Bible in the very first book. This idea of covetousness really is behind the original sin. And we see it later on, Cain and Abel. Cain was not Abel, that's for sure. And he was jealous, if you will, of his brother and how he was found worthy before God because he made a good sacrifice. It, it wasn't just about what they were offering, Abel offering the meats, and okay, steak is better than... I don't know, crackers or grain, whatever he was offering as a farmer, um, Cain. But that's not really what it's all about. It, it's that he didn't give his best. He held back somehow. And it's it's a little bit like Ananias and Sapphira. They're struck dead, which seems harsh to us. It wasn't that they, they didn't give it all. They, they lied about it. But Cain kind of did that. He, he didn't give the best offering to God. He didn't give the first fruits. And so... Here, here's the thing, with both Adam and Eve and with Cain, and, and Jen Wilkin points this out, God knew what was going on inside. He, he witnessed the interior motions of their, of their soul, this covetousness that wouldn't have been necessarily observable to, to an outside observer. Abel may not have had any idea that Cain was going to kill him, just based on outward appearances. But God did see it all. He saw it all. And so he sees what's going on in our lives as well. Before we ever uh, speak a word that's sinful, before we ever commit an action that's sinful, he knows what's going on at the level of the heart. And that, that's where it all begins. You're listening to The Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 9149 And so this is why we have to remember that what, uh, what it says in the letter of James. James wrote this. He said, but each person is tempted. No one should say, God is tempting me. It kind of starts off with that. God doesn't tempt anyone. It's not possible. Don't blame it on God. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so this idea that that it starts off inside, starts off with, with desire, but then if it's allowed to continue, if it's allowed to, to kind of gestate, if you will, when it's fully grown, when it's born forth into the world, it's going to bring forth death. And so this is, this is what that, that preacher meant, that little quote I gave you off the top, when he said that you are the belated announcement. What you're doing today, what you're up to today, is the belated announcement of what you've been thinking about for the past 30 days because Jen Jen Wilkin puts it this way. This is a great quote. She says, quote, our words and actions are the birth cry of our mature desires. Our words and our actions are kind of the, the birth cry of our mature desires, the belated announcement of what we've been thinking about for the past week, month, decade, an unholy and gruesome birth, gestated in our hearts, a confession of a crooked course, that we committed to some time ago, end of quote. Wow, that's a powerful quote. So really a lot of this stuff is happening at the level of the heart. That's kind of where it, where it gets going. And it, and what's also interesting about this too, is that this, this commandment of covenant, she kind of points this out, that God gave the commandments. So we, we, one of the places you can find this, by the way, is in, is in the book of Exodus chapter 20 list of the Ten Commandments. We did another series on Exodus for the Faith Explained, the Exodus experience, if you will. And uh, it's, it's interesting that God gave these commandments to Moses before Israel ever got to the Promised Land. This idea of coveting people's stuff, their donkeys, whatever, their homes. They didn't have any stuff. They had just escaped slavery. They had nothing other than the stuff that they got from the Egyptians and they were just like, here, take our, take our, just go. Just please go. We want it into these plagues. Get out of here. Take our stuff and go. So they, they got some, some booty, if you will, from, from the Egyptians on their way out. But they didn't really have any, any personal wealth. They didn't have their own stuff until later, until later. And, and when God says, hey, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's servants. Don't covet your neighbor's animals. Only, only people who have means have things like that. They didn't have that at the time. So there was really nothing to covet in, in those early days. But God knew that that, there, that was going to happen. And he's sort of like a good father looking out for them. He knows the temptations are going to come their way. And so he said, look, you're going to have to deal with this. So I'm going to cut this off at the pass and tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. This is a boundary that you need. So when need, we need it, too, because we, we do live in this materialistic world, we do live in the society, at least most of us live, at a level of wealth, if you will, at a level of, of stuff that the ancients could only dream of, and stuff that people used to think was impossible. I remember even in comic books, Dick Tracy with his, with his watch, oh man, you can talk to your watch and it can do stuff. Well, we have the Apple Watch now. I mean, this is actually happening. King Henry VIII, for all his earthly glory, did not have indoor plumbing. So, I mean, he's probably looking at us saying, you guys have the internet. You have, I mean, why aren't you happy? Why aren't you happy? Because at the end of the day, and he, here's something that we really have to understand here. At the end of the day, this idea of not coveting, we can actually restate that in a positive way. And this is what, what Jen Wilkins says. Really, instead of saying, don't covet, we could probably say be content, be content, but that that is extremely difficult to do, to actually be content because we're kind of hardwired not to be. But we've got to figure it out. There is a way to figure it out, and I'm going to tell you what that is, tell you how to beat this uh, later on in the program. We're going to take a quick break right now, and if you if you're on the line, you can please stay there. I, I will get to your call if you want to talk about this. If you have a take on this, you can give me a call right now. Triple eight nine one four. 9149's Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio but when we come back I'm going to be joined by John Scott Live so hang on, BRB as the kids say, I'll be right there Some highlights there for you. Chris Cuthbert on the call from CBC's Hockey Night Canada. Game two of the Stanley Cup Finals between the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights goes tonight on TNT, also on CBC and Sportsnet. Uh, Of course, Vegas won 5-2 in game one. And to join me right now to talk about that is the 2016 NHL MVP. He's also the host and creator of the excellent Dropping the Gloves podcast, and I guess, I guess he's now our unofficial NHL correspondent, John Scott, uh, joins me. Uh, hey, John, how hey, you doing? Thanks for
1: having
0: me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I am the unofficial NHL
1: guy here for Rental Radio. Couldn't yeah. be happy to be
0: here. Well, well thank you. It's, it's, you know, obviously, it's because of the big bucks that we pay you, and uh, that's that's why you keep <laughs> coming back. But uh, no, I'm only kidding. We're a charity here, as you know, 501c3. But having said that, I'm glad that you've taken the time, John. You give so generously of your time. Um Wow, this is amazing. I have to ask you this. Now, first of all, one thing that you and I are clearly not are prophets or the sons of prophets because we totally botched who we thought was good. John joined me at the beginning of the playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I had kind of picked Edmonton against Toronto. Of course, I had to pick Toronto in the, in the final. John, I think you had Edmonton and the New York Rangers, if memory serves. Uh, that obviously did not work out. How shocked were you that these two teams wound up playing for Lord Stanley's mug?
1: Not too shocked about Vegas. They were first place in the Pacific, so they were kind of an easy pick, but we both liked Edmonton. They're a fun team to watch, and they're Canadian. Us being Canadian, it was kind of a (laughs) hometown pick for us. But I I was very surprised about Florida. They snuck into the playoffs. Luckily, they got some help from a few other teams to to get some wins, and they were the eighth seed. They have somehow slayed three dragons to get to the finals. They've now faced four of the top five teams in the NHL, and they beat their first three. So now they're trying to beat the fourth tee here in the final. So it's, it's been an incredible run for the Florida Panthers.
0: It sure has. And it's funny that you said that. So they slayed Dragons. That's exactly what I wrote in, in my own notes here. I mean, they beat the Boston Bruins in round one. They were down three games to one. The Bruins had the best record in NHL history. And they pulled that series out. And then they beat my beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'm still I'm still crying about that. Then they swept the Carolina Hurricanes to get to the Stanley Cup final. Now Vegas actually missed the playoffs last year. But at least the the Panthers, they they had won the President's Trophy last year, the best regular season team that really, you know, nobody, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean too much. Um, They made a really, really controversial trade uh, after last year when they lost in the second round to Tampa Bay. They traded superstars Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Wieger to the Calgary Flames. And a lot of people kind of thought Florida made a bad trade when they did this, but they got back. Keith Kachuk, you can call him Keith k clutch because he's been clutch in, in the playoffs. I know he's one of your favorite players, John. Tell me about what he brings. Well, I don't think he's going to stick with that nickname because that's,
1: uh, that's pretty bad. Too corny. But he, <laughs> he, um, he just brings everything. He kind of has a little bit of sandpaper. If you need a big hit, you'll have a big hit. If you need a big goal, he has a big goal. He gets in your face after the whistle. He just brings everything you want from a hockey player. I, I don't know if all your listeners are familiar with hockey, but it's a physical game, and you know mm-hmm. his tempers run high. And he is in the middle of every scrum, and I, I love that. I played the physical game, so it's nice to see that type of player succeed and get the kind of accolades he's been getting this playoff round.
0: No, absolutely, he's your, he's your kind of guy, and and I feel like speaking of the physicality of the game. I was I was watching I was watching game one, and it seemed like it seemed like Florida really tried to bully Vegas, you know, in game one. It kind of even started before the game, pregame warmups. And and, and you play in the NHL, of course. And how common is this where teams will try to set the tone and they're, they're, they don't want to let the other team cross the red line, the center ice red line during warmups and get in on their side of the ice, their territory, if you will. And Talk to me about the gamesmanship that goes on in that situation. Well,
1: it, yeah, it's a mental game. When, when it comes down to it, especially in a playoff round where you're Potentially going to play these guys seven games, and so you put you put the work in. It's like a running back with football. You run the first quarter, you don't get anything. The second quarter, maybe you get a few more yards. By the third and fourth quarter, that offensive line on the other side is completely done, and you're just running over them. And it's like that with hockey, where okay, you finish your checks on the first game, maybe you don't notice it. By the third and fourth game, the other team doesn't want to go back and get the puck because they know they're going to get pounded through the boards. And you set the tone in the warmups where it's like, no, you're not coming on my ice. You're not crossing the red line. This is my rink. This is my ice. You're not getting anything unless you work for it. So it, it's all a game of mind out there. And, mm-hmm. and if, if that opponent knows, like, man, I'm going to get hit if I go and get this puck, I'm going to get in trouble if I cross over the red line, you are not going to want to do it. So it's uh, Florida will, they'll get rewarded for this physical play come game three and four.
0: All right. Well, recently on your podcast, John, and your, uh, my guest is John Scott from the Dropping the Gloves podcast. NHL All-Star Game MVP from 2016. Uh, recently on your podcast, you, you had George Richards on who covers the Panthers. He's been covering them since 2004. And he talked about how in that Florida locker room, it's kind of like a frat house environment. Do you, do you see them bouncing back you know, because of their chemistry and Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think these guys... They were down 3-1 to one to Boston. I think they've overcame adversity throughout the year. After Christmas, they were almost in last place in the whole league. And mm. so to come back and make the playoffs and now to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, they're used to being the underdog. They're used to coming back. I, I think just that camaraderie they have in the locker room only further solidifies the, the reason that they're coming back. They're just a good group of guys who are friends, and it kind of just translates on the ice where they have each other's back. And they're not worried. Even the coach said after the game, he's like, just relax. We'll be fine. You have to win four. You don't have to win one. So there's lots of hockey to be played.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. And, and speak about that camaraderie that, that they have. I know that uh, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things they like to do, apparently, is get on defenseman Aaron Ekblad's yacht. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know, he's got some sort of a big boat, and they'll, they'll cruise around the, the golf and stuff like that. But, but let me ask you, just from a player's perspective, I have to ask you this, because we were talking about this off-air. This is the first time in the Stanley Cup final where there's been two teams from the Sun Belt. That, that have made it in and I thought it was a good, great point that you made to me and let me ask you this from a player's perspective is that a plus I mean because obviously you're looking at two states here the Vegas Golden Knights Florida Panthers where there's no state income tax and the weather's nice are these places that players would rather play than maybe a, a pressure packed from a you know like a media perspective from a place like Toronto or Montreal or and there's weather involved like how, how much does that play into where a player wants to go when he's a free agent
1: well, I'll be honest. When I was a free agent, I think it was five years into my career, I looked at my wife, and we had played in Buffalo. We had played in Minnesota. We had played in Chicago, and she said, it'd be nice if we could play somewhere warm. And we, we signed in Arizona, <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. fantastic. And then we had another chance, and I said, well, gosh, it's either going to be Edmonton or San Jose, and we chose San Jose. <laughs> so that does play a part where it's like, do you want to you know, wear shorts and flip-flops to the rink in the middle of December and January and February or bundle up when it's 25 below. So it it does add a little bit of an incentive to go to those warmer climates. And then just from a, you know, marketing standpoint and money standpoint, you need the American markets to succeed if if you're the NHL. And so to have these teams succeeding and you're getting this revenue from those big markets, Vegas is a huge market, Florida is a huge market, if you want to make money, you need to, you know, have eyes on the on the game in the south. It's good to have Toronto and you know Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary. Those guys will always watch, but you need the mm-hmm. the money coming from the states to be successful as uh, as a league.
0: You're listening to the Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is John Scott. We're talking about Stanley Cup Final Game Two goes tonight on TNT between the Florida Panthers and the Vegas. Golden Knights. Well, speaking of Las Vegas, it, it's not only a great market for hockey, obviously, but it's a great market for relevant radio. We we get so many awesome callers from Las Vegas, like Jody in Vegas, you're probably listening right now. And it's now an archdiocese. It's, it's, it's growing in terms of the church. Um, and I just wanted to ask you a little bit about what what the casual fan, if, if you're not a necessarily a hockey fan, you might tune in tonight who who on Vegas should they be paying attention to? I know you're a big big fan of Barbashev in particular, Ivan Barbashev.
1: Isn't there a saying where there's vice, grace abounds, or something like that? <laughs> so there's obviously vice in Vegas. Yeah. And there's <laughs> obviously going to be a pushback from from our Lord. So uh, it. it doesn't surprise me that you got some listeners in Vegas. But um, for the Golden Knights, yeah, I love Barbashev. They picked him up at the trade deadline. He just brings energy whenever he's on the ice, and he's super talented. Their defense defenseman Alex Peterangelo, their captain. He's I, I'm sure he has a serious injury. Either it's a broken leg, a broken finger, a torn ligament because he's not mm. playing 100%, but he's still out there battling every second. It's always neat when the playoffs are done, you get the injury report from both teams and there're catastrophic injuries with any other sport. If it was basketball, the whole team would not be playing. Like in basketball mm. if they get a cramp, they're done for 2 weeks and on a wheelchair. <laughs> oh, so, oh, and oh, I know I'm throwing <laughs> stones, but it's true. So there all these guys are just seriously injured and they're going out there and laying their heart on the line but yeah peter angelo i love to watch for the vegas gold Knights. he's a, just such a good defenseman he does a little bit of everything for them
0: well and by the way my, my producer jim shaper is kind of he's, he's constantly in tears about this because he, he's from st louis he's from st louis i don't know if he told you this off air but but he's from st louis i mean it was just cathartic for him when they finally won the cup but when you think about guys that St. Louis lost, like Barbashev. Alex P- Petrangelo played for the Blues during their Cup run. Ryan round, O'Reilly, and yeah. Ryan O'Reilly, who's now with the Leafs, of course, and Vladimir Tarasenko now with the Rangers. I mean, they, they lost a lot, but but all these guys really key, especially Barbashev and Petrangelo for for the Knights, as you said. And um, yeah, it's just it's just a pretty pretty incredible stuff. So. For the coward. Yeah, so I apologize, Jim, but uh, <laughs> maybe they'll come home. Some of them might come home to St. Louis at the end. One never knows. But so what's going on with you, John? You you got the podcast going on, dropping the gloves. You're now the father of seven girls. That is a long line to the bathroom in the morning, I guess. What's it's a like? long
1: line, yeah. No, we've been busy actually. We Corpus is coming up around the corner. My wife is spearheaded at our church. This really neat thing called the Infiorata where it's just a flower kind of design on the floor. And now we've kind of extended it to outside where we do a Eucharistic procession after the Corpus Christi mass. And the idea is you put these flowers down and then our Lord just kind of tramples on them on the way out. Kind of he's the number one. And so we've been working on that for the last two weeks and we're kind of going to get the payoff this weekend. Hopefully it turns out well, but yeah, we've been kind of dealing with that for the last week. We're ready to be done with it. But, that's about it, man. Just kind of raising the girls and uh, doing our thing.
0: That, that's, that's incredible. Listen, speaking of raising the girls, I know that you said, hey, uh, bedtimes are chaotic in the Scott household. <laughs> so uh, so I, I know it's a busy night for you. Monday nights are always tough. But, uh, John, hey, I want to point people to where they can find you. Uh, they can find you on Twitter at JohnScott underscore 32. And don't forget, wherever podcasts are found, you can get the Dropping the Gloves podcast and also you can find the archives of the fight that matters which is a a wonderful kind of limited run podcast that that john did on on faith family it's a lot of fun uh definitely worth listening to and we we actually still get a lot of questions about that john in fact a listener had, had a question what kind of feedback did you did you get from the from the uh the fight that matters podcast and were people kind of shocked to hear you talking about this stuff
1: no, nothing but positive feedback. The reason we couldn't continue doing it, the, the priest I did it with, Father Jarvis, he, as soon as we um, started the podcast, he got his own parish. And it's it's a huge parish here in Traverse mm-hmm. City, wow. and so he just said, I don't have any time. And so that was two years ago now, and he actually just got another parish from the consolidated wow. parishes, unfortunately. Good for him, but he's got a ton on his plate. But yeah, I, uh, gosh, I would like to get it back going. I love talking about my faith.
0: Yeah, well, hey, we, we love having you here on Relevant Radio to do just that. Hey, John Scott, it is great to run you down. As always, enjoy the rest of the finals. God bless you and your family, and have a good one. Enjoy.
1: Thank you, Cale. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: You got it. Anytime. That was John Scott, if you need him, the great John Scott, at John Scott underscore 32 on Twitter, and you can find his podcast wherever. Great podcasts can be found, Dropping the Gloves. It's really good if you're a hockey fan, and I know he'll be watching. Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Championship Finals tonight on TNT Gotta take a quick break, but we will come back We were talking about other things that people covet You know, not just Lord Stanley's mug, but things that they probably shouldn't be coveting and how to deal with that, it's Kale Clark show on Relevant Radio, if you're on the line, please stay there 888-914-9149 Be right back Catholic faith, and how you can live it and share it, too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the program. I want to give out the phone number once again. Put me in your contacts, for goodness sakes. 888-914-9149. You can speed dial me, 888-914-9149. You can also, of course, find me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And you can email the program, Kale at Relevant Radio, Well, earlier in the program, we were talking a little bit about the commandment about coveting. And basically, we said, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it, because this is something that starts internally. And what's the antidote? What's really contentment. We're going to talk more about that for a second. But I know a lot of you guys have been wanting to get on air and talk about this. So let's go to Pat in Minneapolis. Hi, Pat. Hi, Pat. Pat, are you you still there?
2: Hello, can you hear me?
0: I I sure can. You just want to make sure you can turn down your radio in the background. Uh, Okay,
2: I did. Um, Okay, perfect. Are we good now?
0: Uh, Well, we'll Uh, see. (laughs) What's your question?
2: Um, Well, I have kind of a different take on that that I thought was very enlightening because of our new scientific um, discoveries that we've been able to test and do things in the last maybe 15, 20 years, that they found some interesting connection between the gut and the brain. And that Mm -hmm. sugars and carbohydrates can destroy the gut, send all kinds of disaster up to the brain, causing all kinds of problems. And they've tested where it shuts down the frontal cortex, the thinking adult part of the brain. And it makes the amygdala, which is more of the um, emotional kind of childlike part of the brain, light up. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we have difficulties controlling our thoughts. Of course, original sin is a big part of this. But I found that when you eliminate some of that, your brain is not as depressed or it's not foggy or it's more brighter and enlightening. And the thoughts that we have are much brighter, I think holier, I mean, just um, in general. And I thought that's an interesting piece that we didn't know about years ago. And I think what we do with our bodies affects our souls and our minds, of course. And so yeah. eating this kind of sugar and junk food and carbohydrates, they've tested this and scans and all kinds of blood work, and they found out it can destroy the brain. They're talking about reversing Alzheimer's now by eliminating some of these things. So those are all kinds wow. of thought processes and that, that can be affected by our food. And I thought, well, that's a whole new aspect of our faith that we haven't talked about. But we're mind, soul, body creatures, and I guess what we treat our bodies can affect our minds our
0: emotions and and our wills as well. Well, Pat, I, I really thank you for bringing this up because uh, th- that, that is really intriguing. They're, the body-mind-soul connection. Th- this whole idea that we are holistic beings um, and we're, we do, we don't want to bifurcate ourselves or trifurcate ourselves, if you will, in- into, well, you know, my soul is separate from the body. This is a very much a, a, a Gnostic way of thinking, which is an ancient heresy, and in the early church, there were groups, and there's still—it's a very, very stubborn heresy. It's been around really since the start of of, of the faith. This idea that, you know, matter doesn't matter. You know, what I do with my body doesn't affect my soul. I can party like it's 1999 on a weekend and still go to church on Sunday morning. It's not going to affect me. It, it will. It will. And and th- this whole idea of the theology of the body that that John Paul II brought up. I think he did the church an incredible service uh, in just reminding everybody that the embodied person, this is, this is how God willed us to exist. And that's that's going to be the case for all eternity. We're going to get resurrected bodies, even uh, those who are destined to, not not because God wants them to be there, but because they, they've chosen to reject God, reject truth, reject his ways. They've chosen sin. They've coveted. They've picked themselves over God. Whatever the case may be, even the good, the bad, and the ugly, everybody is going to be resurrected on the last day. And multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth, as Scripture says, will wake some to glory and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But this is part of the deal. So death does separate the soul from the body for a time, but it's not forever. Think about the the assumption of Our Lady, right? She She's experiencing this now, right? She's in heaven in her body. And so... The same is true, of course, with Jesus and some of the other saints who have been um, assumed into heaven, body and soul. Think about Elijah, the prophet Elijah. So the point of this is that it's not surprising to me what, what you're saying, that they're starting to find out some of these connections between maybe bad behavior and, and how we're feeding ourselves. I and mean, We have to take heed to what we're feeding ourselves on several levels, what we're feeding ourselves spiritually, what we're feeding, what we're looking at, uh, what's coming in through the eye gate, what we're listening to, what's coming in through the ear gate. Hopefully it's only relevant radio. Keep it locked here. That's it. That's all you need to know. But, but all kidding aside, it's really important what we're letting into our bodies because it does affect the soul. And the body informs the soul, and the soul informs the body. When we, It has everything to do with how we pray. This is why we genuflect before the tabernacle. It's a physical act of reverence towards the King of Kings. Jesus present in the Eucharist. It's why we make the sign of the cross over our bodies, because we belong to God, body and soul. So I'm not surprised at all that there is a connection. I've been this whole idea of the gut affecting the brain. This is something that, again, I'm no expert on this at all, but I've I've come across this on the net uh, quite a few times. And and, and I've, whenever I read something like this, I always kind of see a headline. I think I got to bookmark that for later because this is this is intriguing that. The health of your gut affects other parts of your body, including your brain. And, and, and this idea that, as you said, Pat, that there may be some evidence out there that if people are consuming a lot of sugars, a lot of starches in their diet, that maybe it's excessive, uh, you may be more prone to, to going overboard and coveting and, and, and gluttony and all kinds of different things. And it can affect your, your amygdala, which is kind of the fight or flight A portion of your brain that's very, very emotional, making rash decisions. And, and so that's, that's intriguing to me. So, Hey, lay off the Twinkies guys, because you might covet even more. (laughs) So I don't know, but I I do think there's something to this. I, I don't, I, I, I think it's intriguing. I think I need to learn a lot more about it, Pat. And I do appreciate you raising it because we have to take care of ourselves on every level. And, and you see this, not just in terms of okay i'm kind of digressing here but i remember the first time I, I went to see my 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 physician my present doctor now he this guy is a man of faith he gave me a questionnaire about my spiritual life and i'm thinking why is he doing this well because it, he he views it very holistically he thinks it's all connected if you're stressed out if you're uh psychologically stressed it's going to manifest itself maybe in some health problems if you're spiritually not healthy same thing it's all connected and and in the same way we th- think about people who have who have we all know people who have lived this kind of sinful lifestyle, and I feel like it shows in their bodies. People who are heavy, heavy abusers of drugs and alcohol, it, it manifests itself. It manifests itself. And I think it affects the soul, it affects the body, I think it's all connected. So anyways, I, I may be rambling a bit here, but Pat, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And I think this is definitely an area that needs to be studied a lot more. Let's go now to Isidoro in San Diego. Hi, Isidoro. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the program. Yeah. it You eat. Uh, you
3: are what you eat. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, as a Catholic, <laughs> every Sunday.
0: Um. <laughs> yeah. That's right.
3: And, and uh, consume the Eucharist. I wanted to point out. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that was that was very powerful. That uh, you are what you eat. Since the, since Jesus was here, He's been teaching us that. And. Um, I wanted to point out that, um, uh, you know, to all, the uh, you know, faith for people with faith, uh, that, um, we have, uh, we had a miracle, you know, and God permitted the Pope Francis seven years ago to come and point out, you know, the, the 10 commandments to Congress. And, uh, a lot of people said, well, you know, uh, through COVID and where, you know, everybody was worried and, it was just a miracle cause he predicted every single problem. If you go to YouTube, you watch his video coming to the United States, he gave us our food and medicine towards every top topic that you, in your last segment that you expressed and others. And uh, I just wanted to point out that, um, um, uh, if, if anybody's listening, you, you know, go back and um, listen to him, uh, seven years ago before he came before, uh all all this uh dilemma is about any dilemma he mm. he did point it out and I, I just want to tell everybody that god is god god is watching us and uh um, god is also alive uh through the ten commandments and um
0: yeah yeah that's, a, that's uh, a great point yeah Isadora, yeah, you are to eat as we consume the eucharist yeah we we really allow christ to consume us and and you know we, we need to become uh, more like him and so uh, yeah, a great point, Isidoro, about the, and I thank you for that call, Isidoro, in San Diego, about um, uh, Pope Francis and, and his words on, on the commandments, that the commandments are very much alive and well. Of course they are. Uh, they never go out of style, although people would love for that to be the case. <laughs> um, but th- this is really natural law as well as divine uh, revelation. And so what's, what's so interesting, we talked about this a little bit um, earlier when we were talking about uh, the commandment against coveting, that, that even if other people can't see it, God does see what's going on inside. He's not fooled. You can't, you can't trick him in any way. And I just want to get back to this whole thing that, that uh, before we had John Scott come in, I, I did promise you I would explain a little bit more about how we can kind of take this. It, it's a negative commandment do, do not covet, don't do this. It's a do not. But we can kind of look at this in a positive way as well. And the flip side of that is to be content, to be content. Uh, when John the Baptist was preaching and people were going to him for advice, they were, you know, repenting and soldiers would come to him and they'd say, what should we do? And he'd say, be content with your wages, be, be content. Because there's always this temptation to kind of extract a little bit more, maybe bribe somebody or whatever the case may be, don't do it. Um, and so this is one thing that, that Jen Wilkins said in her article about the, about the Ten Commandments, that the less content that we are with our own whatever, our own possessions, our own relationships, or circumstances the less inclined that we're going to be towards generosity that's an that's an interesting take that she says that really covetousness is a close cousin of stinginess because when you're when you're coveting it's very hard to be generous it's very hard to to be giving and when you look at um the acts of the apostles and this is a obviously a a book of the bible that comes into play uh, during this time of pentecost around pentecost and this is what 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 the early church was really like and it talks about this in acts chapter 2 verses uh, 42 to 47 it says that they held steadfastly to the apostles teaching and fellowship to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers and we have all those things of course in the catholic church we have the, the apostles teaching we have sacred tradition we have the scripture of course the breaking of the bread and the prayers obviously that's a reference to the mass and public worship And it says that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed to them all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so it paints a a very beautiful picture of what life was like in the early church. And one of the things that can happen to us is that when we don't think that our own needs are being met, and we're saying we should have this, we should have that, it's very, very difficult for us to then look at the neighbor and say, what does this person need? How can I help? And so the reason why that is, and, and, and Wilkin explains this a little bit, is that we think that we deserve what should be really going to our neighbor. We think it should be ours. We, we kind of get into this hoarding mentality, if you will, not just in terms of stuff, but, but in terms of everything. And, and this, this ought not to be. And um, a couple of days ago on the show, I was talking about Mark Twain, and he wrote this book about Joan of Arc. He wasn't Catholic. And one of the reasons why he maybe wasn't Catholic was that he was on a cruise ship once with a bunch of pilgrims going to the Holy Land, and he, and he just did not buy their faith. He didn't believe it based on what they were doing. Now, maybe... He obviously should have overlooked the fact that they're sinners. That doesn't mean the message isn't true, but but they would have these prayer meetings at night, and they would pray, 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 and implore God's help, and then they would go into the streets of Europe whenever the ship would dock on their way to Israel, and they would walk by all these beggars and poor people, and they wouldn't even look at them. And he said, there's something wrong here. And so, I don't know, maybe that was that was part of the issue here with, with, with covetousness. So how do we beat this? How do, how do we get contentment so that we're not falling prey to this? Well, One of the things that St. Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and I did another series on this one recently on The Faith Explained. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A famous passage in Philippians chapter 4, but Paul says he learned it. I have learned how to be content. How did he learn it? Well, one of the ways that we can learn it is through experience. And um, that, that's one of the only ways we can learn sometimes. Experience is a tough teacher at times, but tomorrow on the Faith Explained show, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, which we kind of started after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit: A Beginner's Guide, and how do we know when the Spirit is talking to us? It's a very, very important question, and one of the one of the ways that we know is through experience. And the downside of this is that it only works in hindsight. We can say, "Oh yeah, yeah, that was the Spirit. I just wasn't obedient to the Spirit." But Paul says it can be done, and you can be content in everything, in everything. So it's a learning process. It's it's going to be. Uh, don't expect to to get. Go from zero to sixty overnight, but there's there's really three areas we have to watch when it comes to this idea of contentment and covetousness. It's our stuff, our relationships, and our circumstances. That's what Wilkins says. It's our stuff, it's our relationships, and our circumstances. Those are the those are the three areas, and comparison is the thief of joy, and that's when we talk about coveting. That's that's a big that's a big part of it that we we want to keep up with the Joneses we're comparing, and and that's never never a, a good thing. If you want to compare it, compare with the ancients, like I talked about King Henry the Eighth and people in the 12th century would love to have what you have. You know, even even those who, you know, the, the most basic stuff that we have in society is is just incredible to to the ancients. So. We, we, we look at other people and we sometimes think that they're way happier than we are. And that's not always the case. Somebody can have all the stuff. They might have the, the fancy car. They might have the big kitchen with the island you know, on granite countertops, but they may be miserable. So don't think that just because they have stuff, stuff doesn't make you happy. It doesn't make you happy. And John Scott was on the program earlier in a previous conversation that we had on Relevant Radio. He talked about how NHL superstars, multi-million dollar contracts. A lot of the guys that he played with in the NHL are miserable. I mean, they're living every kid's dream, but these guys are just empty inside. And one of the reasons why they're empty inside is because they know that this stuff doesn't satisfy them. They have everything that society says they should want or have. They've got the cars. They've got the vacations. They've got the homes. They've got the, you know, models hanging off every arm as they're walking down the street. But they're not happy because they, in, in a lot of cases they don't have God. And this is what St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. So it's a grave error to, to fall into that and, and to think that, oh, if I was only in this circumstance, I'd be happy. No, 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 I, I don't think so. So I, it was just a few straight thoughts there and I hope they were helpful to you. Wow, the hour has already flown by, I can't believe it. My thanks to John Scott from the Dropping the Gloves podcast to join me, as he did, talking about the NHL Stanley Cup final. It's on tonight. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Aylock took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela.
3: Thank you for listening to my daddy.